This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 228, They Live Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. This week, Derek nominated the 1988 John Carpenter film, They Live. I'd never seen it, so uh, we're going to review it here on the show together. It's going to be a lot of fun, but before we get to the movie, Derek, any pop culture you've been able to get to this past week, my friend? I love how you always phrase that as a question, as if just once I'm going to say, nah, Chris, nothing this week. <laughs> That's when you know the podcast has run its course. Sorry, Chris, no pop culture this You week. always have so much time on your hands and you do so much of this. Well, stuff, so. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say time on my hands mm. as much as I prioritize my pop culture because Good I point. enjoy TV, music, and, and movies, and comic books, and all the stuff that is a part of pop culture. And, and I got to say. I'm I'm actually a little disappointed that mm-hmm. that you and I are not able to attend Fan Expo, which is happening in Toronto this weekend. Uh, you know, it just wasn't in the cards. Mm-hmm. Our our lives are busy, but uh, for those who are attending the con, I hope you have a great time. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of very positive posts on social media. People are really excited, and I know that uh, the downtown Toronto area here, there's a lot of. Um, promotional material that's in the downtown core to really hype it up there's been ads on the transit and all sorts of things it's the the city really seems to realize that that a a pop culture event like fan expo can really draw a lot of people a lot of tourism dollars and uh and the event just seems to get better and better every year i know obviously through covid there was there were some years where they didn't have it and then i think last year was sort of a hybrid but you know if if the convention scene this summer is any indication uh, I myself even participated in a couple of gaming conventions this summer, and they seem to be back in full force. The nerds want to want to convene with other nerds, and uh, Fan Expo was in full effect this weekend. So for those going, have have fun. Uh, Anthony Daniels was going to be there this year. That would have been cool. And Shatner's there. I still think 2016, the year that you and I both went, that was a, that peaked. It was so good that year. They had so many great people there. But uh, well, yeah, no, I, mean, I, I look forward to going some again sometime. Well, maybe we'll go next yeah. year. We'll Maybe a, next year. Yeah, exactly. We'll try and make exactly. a commitment. So we'll see. Okay. So anyway, back to your original question. Uh, yes, I did have a chance to take in some pop culture this week, some new ones, some old ones. Uh, unfortunately, no documentaries this week, but I do see a couple in the lineup that have caught my eye that I'll try and get on top of before we do our next show. So real quick, I'll run down what I've seen. So I was a little late to the game on this one. Uh, the Marvel Marvel Cinematic Universe has been releasing television programming through Disney Disney Plus. Uh, earlier this summer, they released the uh, the six episode series on Moon Knight, which I, I really enjoyed. I think I talked about it on a previous show. And then the follow up to Moon Knight, the next outing was uh, a property called Ms. Marvel, which is not a character I'm really familiar with because the Ms. Marvel character was only introduced in 2013. And I honestly haven't been reading Marvel comics since the mid to late 90s. So not a character I'm really familiar with through personal uh, exposure, but a character that I've learned a little bit about in anticipation of this show. But 
honestly, because I didn't know the character, I wasn't in a hurry to watch the show. And the reviews were sort of middle of the road. So I thought, well, I'll get to it eventually. And then this past week, I had some time and didn't really know what to watch. And the new Marvel show was about to come out. So I thought, why don't I get caught up on Miss Marvel? And it's six one-hour episodes. And let me tell you, it's fantastic. Mm. I am shocked at how much bad press it got. And I mean, the, the story features a teenage girl uh, of Muslim descent, uh, you know, in uh, New York who is representing a community that is not normally represented in things like the Marvel comics or even on TV in general. And so I guess you have a lot of old straight white men on the internet that basically bashed this show because it wasn't about old straight white men. It was about young, a young woman of color from, from a, you know, a diverse background. And so it got a lot of hate on the internet and I kind of kicked myself for not sort of realizing that earlier because I watched the show and it was great. I, if you haven't seen it and you have Disney Plus and you're a Marvel fan, you are doing yourself a huge disservice. You need to go and watch Ms. Marvel. It's great. It is as good as as the other Marvel shows. Uh, it's definitely, uh, I would say, maybe not the best one, but it's absolutely not the worst one. There's a lot to like about it. The lead uh, performer who plays Ms. Marvel, this is sort of her first starring role in anything, and she's actually from Markham, Ontario, which is uh, not far from Toronto where we record, or at least where I am, and um, she's great. And, uh, you know, it's it's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So can't, can't recommend that one highly enough on Disney Plus, Ms. Marvel. And then this week, the new Marvel show just dropped the first episode, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. And, of course, a lot of people are like, well, I know the Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner. You know, he's been a very popular Marvel character for many, many years, had a TV show in the 70s, has had a couple of movies as a part of the Avengers. What is She-Hulk? Well, oh, I should also watch. mention there was Teen Hulk. And that was in the crazy magazine that I used to always read back in like the early eighties. <laughs> they had Teen Hulk. So. Nice. Well, again, uh, I won't go into too much detail. Mm -hmm. All I will say is She-Hulk is a great Marvel character for a number of reasons in large part because the way that they sort of reimagined her in sort of the mid to late nineties was as a character who understands that she's a part of a comic book. And so very much like Deadpool who breaks the fourth wall and talks to the talks to the viewership she-Hulk does that as well and has been doing that in comics for 30 years and they really find a good balance of I mean there's only been one episode and it only runs about 35 minutes but I think they really set a good tone here um the the performances are great uh I mean obviously when you've got a character that sort of hulks out you get a lot of CGI and some scenes you can really tell it's CGI I mean obviously you know it's CGI the whole time whenever there's you know a Hulk is on the screen but they do a good job, and and uh, there wasn't I really a lot of CGI it. back in the day with Lou Ferrigno. No, 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 there was not. But uh, so yeah, I would say give She-Hulk a chance. There's only one episode in. There's five more to come. It's it's more of a. It's got a lot of humor in it, like more than I think a lot of the other Marvel shows have had. But again, that that is in keeping with my understanding of how the She-Hulk comic book, or at least the ones that I'm familiar with, were in the in the mid '90s. So check that out. If you're again, if you're not into Marvel, then you could ignore everything I've just said. Uh, two other quick ones. I, we watched the movie. My wife and I watched the movie Snatch from 2000, written and directed by Guy Ritchie, stars Jason Statham and Brad Pitt. Chris, have you ever seen Snatch, nope. the movie? No, not the movie. Oh, my, my, my. I, that's why I had to clarify that. Uh, it's great. I've seen it a, a, probably a dozen times. I haven't seen it in a long time. It happened to be on one of the one of the cable networks late at night earlier this week. We happened to turn it on. 
and we're like, why don't we just watch this for 20 minutes until we go to bed? We end up watching the whole movie. It's great. It's so much fun. I think I'm going to have to get you to watch this for the podcast in the not too distant future because it's it's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of big actors doing very small parts. Uh, it's it's um, yeah. If you if you're familiar with Guy Ritchie's work, it's it's probably one of his best, if not if not his best uh, work. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then the last thing I watched, I'm still watching is. There's a show that came out this this summer, and Chris, you, you, this appeal will appeal to you. It's mm-hmm. called The Old Man. Are you familiar with it? I'm, I'm familiar with being an old man. <laughs> <laughs> so it originally aired on FX. We're getting it here in Canada on Disney+. Plus. All right. It's based on a book. It's uh, seven one-hour episodes. It stars Jeff Bridges and, um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. The guy from Third Rock from the Sun. The uh, um, John Lithgow. Oh John Lithgow. Thank okay. you. Oh my God, I can't believe I blanked on him like that. It's John Lithgow and Jeff back. Bridges. Thank you, thank you. And the premise, it's about Jeff Bridges, so he's the old man in the title. And the idea is that like they're both sixty-five to seventy-five years old, and in their prime, they were spies that worked for the CIA, and they did a lot of like crazy stuff. And now they're old and retired, and long since out of the spy game. And in the first episode assassins come to kill Jeff Bridges. And he's like, well, clearly something from my past is coming back to get me. And so now we've got seven one hour episodes where you try and figure out like what's going on and who's on his side and what's, you know, and then John Lithgow's character gets pulled back into the FBI and the CIA to sort of be like, Hey, we need to find this guy who's been in hiding for all these years. It's great. It's based on a book. Apparently it's getting fantastic reviews. Um, it's the first episodes dropped in like June or July. So all of them are available now. I'm coming to it about a month after the final episode dropped, but I'm four out of the seven episodes in. I can't wait for us to finish recording this podcast. So I can go back and watch the next three episodes tonight. It is amazing. And when they do the Emmy nominations for next year, I guarantee you this show is going to be nominated up and down the board. It is amazing. So the old man, it's, (laughs) it's with Jeff Bridges, seven episodes. It's on Disney plus here in Canada. It was originally from FX check it out that was my pop culture for the week all right Uh, i got a couple i got one for you too remember i mentioned last week that my wife and i were looking for a new show to binge watch so we started watching ted lasso and we really like oh yes it's so good yes so we watched all the episodes of the first two seasons and we're waiting for season three so we're like what else are we gonna binge watch so we started watching a new show barry have you seen oh i love it (laughs) i've seen every episode it is outstanding it's so good. It's oh got my. Henry Winkler. How could you not like it? I didn't really know much about it going in. I mean, I, like Bill Hader is in it. I knew Henry Winkler was in it because, you know, he's the Fonz and he's my hero. So I watch it. Oh, my God. It's so good. And even so other good. characters like Stephen Rue's character and Sarah Goldberg, like it is it's a con- it, like the way it vacillates between comedy and like not even drama, but like violent like yeah. black humor, violent stuff. Like it's just, it vacillates between the two. It is outstanding. It's just how far, in, how far into the show are you? We it's are three about, so far. We are about three episodes into season two. Okay. So, so I'm Good. getting so, there and I'm really, really okay. enjoying so, it so far. Season one, for, uh, in case you were not aware, um, I believe that Bill Hader got uh, one awards for, I believe best writing, best show and best actor. Uh, and Henry Winkler definitely won for best supporting. Like it won a ton of awards the first season out of the gate. And um, it, it has, in my opinion, it was the first season was great. And the show has just gotten better season two and season three along the way. And 
I think season three was fantastic. Uh, so I can't wait for you to get caught up. The good thing I like about that show is the episodes are relatively short, right? They're like 30 to 40 30 minutes, minutes a piece. It's not. Yeah. So you can get through two or three at once. Or if it's like, well, you know, I'm kind of getting tired. I got enough time for one. It's like, okay, I'm just going to watch one and go to sleep. It's not like one of these. Well, it's a hour and 20 minute drama. It's like, nope. So you can just bang through just a bunch the of them. Once. And premise of it alone just almost blew me away. Like he's like this hitman, not to give away too much, but he's like this hitman. And then he decides he's going to join like an acting class. And it's almost like acting is going to, in some way, being on stage is going to cleanse his soul or somehow like it save his soul. It's just, the whole thing is just so bizarre, but it just works. So I really and, and Henry Wink, Henry Winkler is the washed up actor who's like got the, oh, the acting so as the good. acting coach. It's just it's oh. so perfect. It's and like, like he's, he's so, got connections. So well cast. Oh, yeah. He's like, like, I know all these like actors and they're all like B-list actors that he knows and stuff. Yeah. And he's built this kind of shrine to himself in the, 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 in the class. Like, oh, the whole thing is just it's it's so different and unique. It's just it's wonderful. So I think that's great. So, Chris, when we did an episode like. Geez, got to be almost two years ago when mm-hmm. we talked about you. It was an episode where we, I can't remember, we brought someone on as a guest and we we're like, what should Chris binge watch next? Barry was one of the shows I had suggested to you at the time. So I'm glad you finally took my advice and got around to checking it out. And I'm, and I'm very happy that you're enjoying it because it is, it is one of the better shows on TV right now. I mean, we've talked about how a lot of like main network TV is kind of <laughs> crappy mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and really all the good TV shows are now on specialty cable channels, but this Barry is definitely among the top five, if not the top 10, if not the top five shows that are currently airing right now. So I'm really glad that you're watching. I'm really glad you're enjoying it. And Ted Lasso, same like Ted Lasso easily in the top three of the best shows that are currently out there. So I'm glad you're finally getting a chance to watch these shows. And I'm very happy to hear that you're enjoying them. So. Yeah. Cause we watched a lot of duds that we didn't like, uh, but it is definitely one of the best things going in TV right now. And one of the best things going in podcasts right now is here's your dad joke of the week Derek as you know I like to dabble from time to time with with writing and recording songs so okay. I, had, I had a dad joke about a song that I wrote do you want to hear it uh, do I ever mm-hmm. so Derek did you know that I wrote a song about a tortilla well actually uh, it's more of a rap uh, <laughs> that joke sucked but you know me, Derek. I'm the champion of Gen X pop culture. Did Simpsons it, did it. Yeah. Simpsons did it. Yeah. Man, that Beyonce sure is hot. I'm already not comfortable where this is going. But okay. You've there got male M A L E. There we go. Very good. Okay. Jeez. Figure that one out on your own. You may have some explaining about your internet history. No kidding. We did it in Canada first. I overlooked the obvious answer there. All right. Half of you men run over to the town square, and the others will run with mucus. Okay, so this week it was over to you to nominate a movie for us to review. And since we held our pop culture fantasy draft on the year 1988 recently, I went with Die Hard on our last episode. And this week it was over to you and you went with John Carpenter's They Live. And and funny enough, I had never seen this movie. So it, it gave me the chance to go back and watch an older movie that I'd, I'd missed out on the first time around. So maybe you can just start us off and... You got to pick any movie that you wanted from 1988. Why this one? So honestly, I'd never seen it in its entirety either. I've seen parts of it. I've read reviews of it. I've seen clips on YouTube. There's a lot of interesting 
or funny scenes from this movie that have done very well as internet memes or as clips on YouTube that get shared around. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. So I never actually had a chance to watch it in one sitting from start to finish. So that was part of the part of my motivation was I, I finally wanted to see it. Um, but again, it, part of the reason I wanted to nominate it was understanding or at least having an assumption of what the movie was sort of about, like the broad strokes, the the the, the beauty of sort of science fiction kind of movies is you can uh, talk about an issue, but wrap it in space aliens or time travel or zombies or something fantastic, futuristic, horrific, whatever, and still make the point you're trying to make, but in a way that's entertaining. And you can say, well, no, I'm not actually talking about that. It's just a science fiction movie, but we all know you're really talking about it. And part of what I understood about this movie, the message that it's trying to convey in my mind, based on how I understood it was that now, you know, in today's day and age, the message is actually carried forward and is probably more important today than it even was in 1988. So I thought, you know what? I want to understand more about this movie. I want to watch it from start to finish. I want to judge it for myself. I want to know if the things I've been reading have merit or if people are just reading into it. Like, I, I you know, sometimes people will read anything into anything. I can remember years ago reading a study where a professor was like, the shark in Jaws represents a penis that is the male power trying to penetrate everyone. And I'm like, what? Whether or not that, I don't think that was true, but hey, you want to read that into it? Great. So with They Live, I've read a lot of things where people are talking about, well, this really means this and this really means that. I wanted to judge for myself. So that was a large part of why I, I wanted to come back and revisit this. And you had mentioned you had never seen it. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, I had never seen its entirety. You'd never seen it. I'm like, why don't we come to this fresh? We don't have this opportunity very often where the two of us both come to a movie that we don't really have a lot of history with. Usually it's more like last week with Die Hard. I've seen it 20 times. I've seen it 30 times. This is the greatest movie ever. And it's 45 minutes of two guys gushing about how much they love the movie. I don't know. Are we going to get that this week or are we going to get something completely unexpected? So... From there, let's let's see where the show goes. I remember when it came out and then when it was on home video and I at the time had no interest in this movie. And it's a little bit odd because I liked WWF wrestling back then. And this is I, I like campy sci-fi movies, which this is. But for whatever reason, I just I never really had any interest in watching this movie. And coming into this movie. I didn't really know much about it. The only thing I knew was I remember the poster. It's got Rowdy Roddy Piper and he's like pulling these sunglasses down. And there's a reflection in the sunglasses of this like alien thing. And I remember hearing that like he puts on glasses and sees aliens in people around. And that, that was all I knew. Yeah. So all that being said, I, I, I obviously watched this movie for the first time this week in 2022. And let me tell you. It, it was not what I expected. Like, I, I went into it thinking it was just this cheesy, campy sci-fi movie starring this wrestler. And it, it was those things. But the part that I didn't expect was the motifs in this movie. And how Carpenter basically takes a page out of George A. Romero's playbook to make this commentary on issues like capitalism and propaganda... Yep. This movie was actually really, really good. Yeah, as yeah, I felt the same way. As a film buff, I think it was great. In terms of entertainment, it doesn't really offer quite as much. 
But in terms of style and commentary, I thought it was a pretty important film, actually. So a couple things. Just getting into it, we always like to kick it off. It was made on a budget of $3 million, which is pretty amazing. Because even back in 1988, that was not a lot of money for a movie. Now, to put things in perspective, last week's movie, Die Hard, also from 1988, cost $30 million to make. And Bruce Willis's salary for Die Hard was $2 million more than the entire budget of They Live. So it was this low budget movie, just kind of like Halloween was, I guess. It was low budget. But it made $13 million at the box office. So it was pretty profitable, uh, mainly because of the low budget, obviously. But it it only finished 81st at the box office that year. So it's safe to say it was not popular with audiences when it came out. Some of the movies that that outperformed it that year included Stand and Deliver, Poltergeist 3, Arthur 2 on the Rocks, The Serpent and the Rainbow, and The Presidio. So, although it, although this movie did do better than Mac and Me, which is one of the worst movies ever made in history. So, I don't know. So, well, that's hey, a little I'll, bit of background list, on the film. I was going to say, of that list, Stand and Deliver was pretty good. Um, again, some of the movies you listed were okay, but uh, yeah, a couple of those were stinkers. We usually like to take a look at the cast. Uh, at the top of that. And I'd like to start there with Roddy Piper yep. because he's this this wrestler and he's Canadian too, by the way. He was from Parkdale in Toronto. Oh, I didn't know that. I knew he was Canadian. I didn't know where he's from. That's where I used to live. When you and I first became friends, remember I lived in Parkdale. And the thing was about him when he was in the WWF, like I said, I was always a big fan of WWF wrestling when I was a teenager. And he was very unique because back in the 80s, you had good guys and you had bad guys in wrestling. And most often, the fans liked the good guys, and they hated the bad guys. But Rowdy Roddy Piper was, you know, he was sort of a quote-unquote bad guy, but fans liked him. He was kind of like yeah. Jake the Snake Roberts in that He regard. was the guy you love to hate kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Now, in this, I got to just start out by saying he is not a very good actor at all. No. Like, no. not yeah. good. But I don't think that was ever up for debate. Like, I don't think he was cast in this movie because they thought he was going to win an Oscar. I don't think at any point during the making of this movie, anybody expected this to be like, Oh my God, this guy's the next Lawrence Olivier, like not a chance. He's a professional wrestler. He's got, um, a certain amount of charisma that, that a wrestler would need. And, and he clearly has, and you know, they were obviously going to work in some fight stuff to, to let him show off the things he's actually good at. But, uh, no, uh, definitely not among the best actors we've ever had uh, you could, performing you could, in a carpet. You could say, though, that that actually kind of worked well for this part in this movie. Because I think if yeah. you had a major action movie star like Stallone or, or Schwarzenegger. Well, they, like that, apparently they were they wanted to originally cast uh, Kurt Russell. But because Russell had just done Big Trouble Little China and The Thing uh, and Escape from New York all with Carpenter, Carpenter was like, or either, I don't know if it was Carpenter or the studio was like, eh, we really want somebody else in this role. But I'm like, I'm trying to imagine it with Kurt Russell and I don't think it would have worked. I think you're right. I think you needed, you know, a, you know, and I mean, I, I mean this the most affectionately as you can. I mean, you needed a lesser performer to do the lead role. Well, I think if you had like this, big sort of action started they would just like sort of plow their way through the movie and it just wouldn't work the script in this movie calls for a guy that has to struggle his way through the movie right yeah and based on the themes that are going on in the film it actually helps that that the the hero is more relatable more of like a populist kind of appeal to him so so i think the fact that he can't act a licked actor actually works in the movie's favor Mm mm-hmm 
No, I agree. And, um, and I mean, I like that um, that you have him paired with Keith David, who is a much better actor, although he doesn't really have a lot to do in this movie and, and you know, doesn't stretch his chops as much. But again, Keith David had worked with Carpenter before in The Thing and has has had a pretty reasonable career over time. He does a lot of voice work now for uh, for commercials and voiceovers and stuff. But I've always I've always had a soft spot for him. I think Keith David's great, although I don't necessarily think he was great in this movie. I think he was as good as he needed to be. He brought his acting to the level of Roddy Piper. And why go any more than that? Well, well, we'll get to him in one second. Another thing I want to mention about Rowdy Rowdy Piper was his hair. I don't know if it qualified as a full-on mullet. And it's just kind of like long hair. And it's like kind of feathered on top. And then I'm, and my wife is like, no, no, it's a mullet. <laughs> so, so apparently it was. It's um, definitely 80s hair. There's no doubt about that. The thing with him is like he is just, he's not your typical Hollywood leading man. Like he's got this, especially the close-ups, like he's got this pockmarked face. And and I and you mentioned charisma. He he had a lot of charisma as an actor, but he does not have a lot of on-screen charisma in this. No. And I think the thing that made him really famous as a wrestler was he had this manic energy about him. But you can't really bring that to to the big screen as a leading man. Like in being in a movie is more about close-ups, you know, and subtleties like raising an eyebrow rather than yeah. jumping around like a maniac. So it just, it just, he didn't, it just didn't really fit that way. Like, again, I still think he, he worked in this movie, but, you know, he just, yeah, it was just a weird casting thing. But you mentioned Keith David, not to be confused with David Keith, I should point out. David Keith was the guy in the, in, in the movie, An Officer and a Gentleman, which we talked about a little while ago. Right. But yep. Keith David might be one of the busiest actors that nobody even knows. Like yeah. at least mainstream audiences, because uh, you know he's not a big star, but he has worked steadily since the '80s. He's won three Emmy awards, but all three of them are for voiceover work and narration. So people just don't recognize him that much. Now, when he's, I saw he's got him a great this, voice, yeah, he does, and then that's why I think why he does a lot of that voiceover work. When when I saw him in the movie, I recognized him right away from Platoon. That's what oh, I knew. I, now you mentioned so he was in the he too. was in the thing too, right? Yeah. But uh, and we mentioned before how Carpenter likes to work with some of the same actors again. Now Keith David was trained at Juilliard, so he's obviously very well versed in his craft. But uh, like you said, maybe he just didn't quite have enough opportunity in this movie to kind of show his acting chops. But I thought he was pretty yeah. good. I thought he was good. So. No, I like, and I mean, right now, one of the one of the roles he's recurring roles he's got as a voice actor is he plays the president in the Rick and Morty cartoon. Um, and he's great. He just, I mean, I would think any performer that ends up doing a tremendous amount of voiceover work, you, you get a certain sense of like how to really, really nail it. And I mean, he really, he's really nails it. And he's, he's so good. He's in the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis and he's great in that too. He's got a small part, but it's just, his voice is so distinct and he always, they always give him good line. Like that's the key. The guy has a great voice. If you're not going to give him a lot to do, at least give him great lines so that his great voice speaks these great lines. So uh, Meg Foster, I want to mention her. She was she's she's a very distinctive looking person. I, I don't know if it's those ice blue eyes that she's got. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, you know she she's another actor too. She's worked consistently over the years, but she's not really famous, you know, in any way. Like I remember mm-hmm. her from a Canadian film called Ticket to Heaven from 1981. It was it was sure. it, it was this movie about this guy that gets indoctrinated into a, like into a cult. And then he has to be deprogrammed. It was an amazing film. But other than that, I'm not really familiar with her work other than than that or this. So, you know her? No, no, no. I mean, when I, uh, 
I, I we saw her on screen. I watched this movie with my wife, and I said, "Oh, I go, she looks really familiar." And then we both were sort of like, yeah, "Yeah, she does look familiar," but we couldn't really place her. And I looked up her credits, and it wasn't. Sometimes that happens. You watch a movie or a TV show, and you go, "Who's that?" And you look them up, and you're like, "Oh, that's the person from something else that you'd know very well." I looked up her credits, and I'm like, I really don't recognize any of the things that she has done. I, so it's like maybe I just remembered her from. You know the odd thing here and there, but uh, no, she she's very, in this movie. She's very attractive. The blue eyes are obviously a, a, a very distinct, and um, yeah, I mean, she was. You know, you needed a, a female lead in the movie in some capacity, and it's like, well, you know, why not her? So I wanted to give a I want to give a quick shout out to Peter Jason. So he played Gilbert in this movie, and he's another one of those prolific character actors. He's been in like a million things. I immediately recognized him when I was watching this. I remember him from 48 Hours. He was the bartender in the scene when Eddie Murphy smashes the glass in the bar. He was like the, the cowboy guy. And then, um, do you remember, you ever see 48 Hours? Oh, yeah. It's been a while, but yeah. I remember, remember that scene. Remember that sure, scene yeah. where he's, he's like, when Eddie Murphy's like, there's a new sheriff in town. His name is Reggie Hammond. Like, he was the bartender. Yep. And um, he was also Chuck Fleming in Brewster's Millions. Uh, that's a movie that I do like. I don't yeah. remember him in that, but you uh, would if you went back and saw it. Like there was a scene with John Candy. He was like, "Hey, it's Chuck Fleming from Action News." You know, so he was in that. So okay, so this movie takes place in Los Angeles, but Carpenter makes it kind of ambiguous. I was looking at the skyline in the early shots, and I could not figure out where this city was. And I think that was by yeah. design. You know, yeah, same. I, I, I like they showed the skyline, and I thought, am I supposed to know where that is? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, and maybe that's just because it's you know, uh, maybe it's a major city in the U.S. And as a Canadian, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I had no idea. I had to actually look it up after the fact and go like, where was this supposed to be? What? Because usually they have like, well, this movie's clearly set in California, and then they they show you some estate or New York, and they show you some establishing shot of some landmark where you're like, well, even though I've never been to California. Clearly, that's where that is. But I, I didn't feel they did that adequately in this movie. And I don't know if that was by de, by design and intent that this could be any like given what the movie goes as far as themes, the idea that this could be any city USA. Yeah, that's works. what I think it was. Like they, you know, I think that was more the intent. The scene at the beginning with the TV and, and the guy is saying stuff like they're all around us. They're everywhere. They're taking over. You know, it reminded me of the TV broadcast in Night of the Living Dead right away I got this whole George A. Romero vibe right away at the beginning of the movie and then at the end of the movie the scene in the bar there's a TV broadcast going on and then they say filmmakers like George A. Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint and then Mm -hmm. it cuts right to the scene of the naked woman having sex with the alien so it's obviously the director poking fun at himself when the guy on TV said, said that I was like yes yes it tied it together that's what I thought at the beginning of the movie you know, it's like something George A. Romero would do. So, like, I, I knew that. So, the glasses, I want to talk a little bit. I, I wrote it down because at one point they mentioned they called them Hoffman lenses. And I don't know if it was important to the plot or whatever, but I love how the aliens in this movie, when they're seen for what they are, like when people actually recognize them, they panic. The aliens panic, right? Yeah. It's, it's like they need to hide behind this sort of veneer of normalcy when in you know in reality like they walk around they're uncaring they're selfish they're unempathetic this movie has 
a lot of relevance, I think, in today's society. Society, And we talk about that a lot on this podcast. Like, how do movies hold up, you know, all these years later? I think maybe even more than it did back in 1988. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I would say. That this movie is more relevant today than when it came out. Now. Yeah, I felt, I felt exactly the same way as I watched it. Now, saying that, I think this movie should never be remade. Do you agree or disagree? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it 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 is a, a it was a moment in time. It was it was appropriate then, and it's it's aged quite nicely. But I think if you made it today, all you're gonna do is screw this thing up. One of the big themes in this movie is propaganda, and it's like it's it's yep. all around us, you know, is what they're saying. But it's just hidden in the messaging because he puts on the glasses and he looks at all the billboards, and it's like obey, marry, and yep. reproduce you know, consume, don't question authority, all this stuff. This movie is like a playbook for capitalism. Not to mention, yep. it's it's the perfect encapsulation of the ideology of the Republican Party since Reagan. I think this movie is commenting a lot on Reaganism back in the 80s. And, and I know that a lot of far-right groups have sort of glommed onto this movie. And they're like, you know, this movie is an allegory for for the Jewish controlled media and stuff. And that is not what Carpenter is saying here. And in fact, John Carpenter himself said, and I quote, he said, they live is about yuppies and unrestrained capitalism. It has nothing to do with Jewish control of the world, which is nothing but a slander and a lie. You know, and white supremacists have also like glommed onto this film and they're like, oh, this represents our cause. Like they claim wrongly that this this movie is about what they refer to as racial awakening and 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 they they believe that truth is only sort of achieved when you, when you see the world through like sort of lenses of black and white you know it just yeah. they're just taking this movie and twisting everything that carpenter is saying about this movie so and yeah i i mean absolutely we need to acknowledge that and i like that carpenter and the people associated with this film have have very loudly used every means at their disposal to continue to rebuff those those interpretations and and be very clear that that is 100% not what they intended. Um, and I think that that's important because people who maybe are only coming to this movie now, all these years later, who don't have any of that context or any of that background, if they start doing internet searches, they need to be able to see all of those things side by side so that they realize that they don't just pull up these you know, crazy wackadoodle ones that are like, oh, you know, white power, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa, whoa, that's not what this is about. It's pretty incredible when you think about it, how much this movie has been adopted by different sort of nefarious people as being representative of their twisted worldview. Like this little campy 80s science fiction movie. And so many people, you know, mistake the messages, you know, and, and... the ironic thing is, too, if you think about it, like these, the groups that have done this, like white supremacists and the alt-right, like Carpenter was saying that the groups of people that they consort with, they're the aliens. <laughs> That's what he's saying, you know? Yeah. God, there's so much going on in this movie, like so much more than what appears at the surface. And I think that's what really shocked me about this. I kind of went in this thing, oh, it's just this little sci-fi movie from the 80s that you're making me watch. I'm like, wow. Like, this is something, there's a quote in it at one point that they're like, um, you know, they're saying on the TV, like, we're, we're like natural resources to these aliens. We're like livestock. And it, mm-hmm. it, it made me feel like it's almost like a retelling of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. 
Yeah, in a way. And I mean, you could even look at it, uh, you know, more broadly and talk about like the whole thing now where they have the debate about minimum wage and and women's rights and abortion and things like that, where they're saying like, you know, you have this working class that is typically, you know, the the people of color and the minorities and the those in power are taking steps to keep those other groups uh, out of power because they need them to do the day-to-day jobs, the the you know the retail work, the 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 jobs that the you know the the upper uh, you know the special people don't want them to uh, to stop doing. And it's like again, this this movie, although it was made in '88, the message behind it is still so relevant today. The the idea of you know the upper echelon who can do whatever they want and and the the propaganda and the brainwashing and the and you know and and then in this movie you have literally the sunglasses like you need to be you need to have the special lenses you need to look at it a certain way in order to see the truth otherwise you just accept it it just happens you don't have a choice you don't realize you're being manipulated and i know that's not always the case in the real world but I think that's sort of the the broad message from the from the you know when Carpenter made this, but it's still relevant today that you know you need to look at things differently. You need to question that authority. You need to take the steps to 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 implement change. And I love it sort of at the end of the movie where they're like the veil is pulled back and suddenly people are revealed for what they are. And you almost wonder like, what do you think happened? After the movie, what do you think happened after the credits rolled? Like, what do you think the next day looked like in this world where the the aliens were seen for what they were? How do you think people reacted? And it's sort of an interesting what if kind of question. Well, like I mentioned, before, like at the top there, I didn't know much about the movie going in. I, I assumed it was about aliens, you know, because of that that promo poster with Piper looking through the glasses. But I did not expect that this to be this sort of commentary on commercialism and capitalism mm-hmm. and these elitist attitudes. And it strikes you early on, you realize early on it's rich people that are the aliens because the guy buying the newspaper in the suit, he's an alien, but the guy selling him the newspaper, he's a human. And right. even the woman in the fur coat at the store, she's an alien, but the clerk that's waiting on her, well, she's a human. So it was yep. clear it's all about this class divide, you know, that's going on. And uh, and that was really the commentary of the film. And I thought it was interesting, too, how a lot of the cops are also aliens, but not all of them. Yeah, there was one that he lets him escape. Remember, he's like run away because yeah. he sees that the cop is a human by putting on the glasses. So, um, well, and, and one of the things that they talk about through the course of the movie, especially towards the end, when you see the guy who had previously been among the homeless is now one of the the accepted chosen. And he talks about like, once you once you accept what is being offered to you, you get the money, you get the power, you get the privilege, you get the special treatment. And and they talk about that. And it's like, yeah, it's it's almost like it's this huge gap. And once you are allowed to step over that gap then you are now one of the special people kind of thing. And and obviously it, it's related to money and wealth and power and all the things that come with that. And, and I'm, you know, it's it's an important social commentary. I want to mention some of the quotes. So, of course, the, the, the famous quote from this movie, I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick and I'm all out of bubblegum. I, thought, I thought, love it. And I, and I heard and I remember knowing that quote coming into this movie, too, because I had heard it somewhere. But it has no bearing on the story. It makes absolutely zero sense in the moment. He no, just like no. stumbles into the bank, 
He didn't go there to chew gum. He didn't even go there to kick ass. Like, it was just so weird that he said that line. But it was, like, memorable. I just, I feel like John Carpenter just, just put it in there, you know, for just to be whatever. It's just to be funny. And then the well, other quote. I, I read that, I read that um, the, again, you never know. You read it on the internet, you mm-hmm. never know. Um, that uh, apparently Piper had, when he was, because he was a wrestler, was he had, a uh, like, a notebook of things that uh, he would potentially want to use as a part of his wrestling persona, because, uh, you know, wrestling is a lot of a lot about wrestling, professional wrestling, especially in the 80s, was about the pageantry and the mm-hmm. the persona. And you'd come out and you make these speeches to the audience to either, you know, get them on your side or to tick them off because you were there to be a foil for the hero. And so Piper had like this notebook of things that he would write down of things he may want to use one day and his character. And apparently Carpenter found the notebook one day, was flipping through it. And that was one of the quotes uh, about the bubble gum. And Carpenter's like, we should use that in the movie. So rightly or wrongly, truthfully or not, apparently that was something that Piper had had come up with. And Carpenter was like, yeah, we got to use that in the movie because it's and, a good line. And I mean, that's one of the internet memes that I was familiar with right. coming into this. I knew that line because I had seen the clip on YouTube 50 times before. And it's it's been said, again, I play a lot of nerdy games and like, I can't tell you how many times you've been at a table where someone's like, okay, you got to make a speech. What do you say? I'm here to you know, chew bubble gum and kick I'm all out of bubble gum. It's like, okay, well, thanks for being original. <laughs> <laughs> and then later he says, Mother Nature's a bitch and she's back in heat. And again, yeah. it's just this throwaway line. It has nothing to do with the movie, has nothing to do with the plot. It doesn't even really make sense in the moment. I, I just feel like Carpenter was just like throwing these lines in there. And that, that's okay. Yep. You know, one thing that struck me too. Uh, uh, so Rowdy Roddy Piper's character is this loner. And he's almost like this homeless drifter. And at one point he says to Meg Foster... He asked her, are you married? And I don't know if you picked up on it, but Piper's character is wearing a wedding ring. And I don't think they yeah. ever explain that in the movie, do they? Um, I want to, again, I, I watched this almost a week ago, so I've watched a few things since then. But I think at one point he talks, when he's talking to Keith David's character, and Keith David talks about, like, I'm from... I want to say Detroit and I have family and kids back home, blah, blah, blah. I want to say Piper had some similar story where he was like, oh, yeah, the work dried up and I had to go here. But I want to and I could be wrong, but I seem to remember him saying something about leaving a family behind. But maybe I'm just imagining that. Also want to mention the scene where they fight in the alley. (laughs) Yeah, this might be. The single longest fight scene in movie history. It just keeps going and going and going. It reminded me of that South Park episode, Cripple Fight, where Jimmy yeah. and Timmy fight. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Have you ever seen that episode? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I want to say that part of that animated episode was was taken right from this. Like some I wondered, like shot. when I was watching this, I'm I like, think I read that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Trey Parker and Matt Stone were the influence by They Live when they did. Of course, that. they it's, were. It's just. Totally reminded me of it. Like just keep like they're kneeing each other, <laughs> and then Piper gives Keith David that back suplex at one point, and then and just when you think it's over, it just keeps going, and going. I'm like, what the hell? And then the, what, got, what what struck me too is then later the next scene, they're in the hotel room, and they're all healed up. And I don't know if that was a continuity issue in the film or what, but it but it really struck me. I noticed it right away, and then. Later in the movie, too, Keith David gets shot in the shoulder, like in the arm. And the very next scene, he's fine. Like, there's no blood. There's no hole in his shirt. And he's all healed up. Again, 
And then, and then finally at the end, Meg Foster shoots him and he finally stays down. I don't know. It was weird. Um, one thing, another, we're talking about the fight that struck me too was there's that shoot him up scene in the alley. And I don't know if you noticed, but it was like a blink and you miss it moment. I picked it up right away. You see Al Leong. We mentioned him when we did, when we did the oh, Big Die Hard. Little China. Yes. He always played the Asian henchman in these movies back then. He was the guy that tortured Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon with the car battery. He was the guy in Die Hard that took the candy bar, right? Yes. Yes. So Yeah. I yeah, I did recognize him. He just like yeah. he does like a this rollover thing and I'm like, yeah. "Oh my god, he's only there for, he's only in the scene for a couple of minutes if that." Oh, yeah. yeah. So then um they use their like wristwatch and they open this portal hole and then they go into it and then they, they that's where they see the inner workings of the alien world and kind of right. how it controls propaganda and everything like that. And there's these two guards with these gadgets. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Those are the PKE meters, the horoscope from, from Ghostbusters. From Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> like, I said, my wife and I both said, that. we're yeah. like, is that the thing from Ghostbusters? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. And then later on, it, like 10 minutes later, another guy's using it. And then I looked it up online after and they're like, yep. Because there was such a low budget, they were pulling props from anywhere. And I was like, oh, nice. I feel like they were even available as toys. They might have just went over probably. to like Toys R Us and bought a couple of them and used this. But Yeah, and then So in that scene, then then they go out on this platform and they look out into space. And of course, my wife turns to me and she's like, oh, my God. Derek and Yancey with these dystopian space movies. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. But, um, <laughs> and then Piper comes back in and, and, he, and he shoots and destroys that dish the satellite dish thing that that's responsible for putting the propaganda out there and then yep. everyone sees the aliens for who they are right and then yep. it ends with that great shot of that naked woman that i mentioned with the alien in bed yeah you talk yeah. about a, a like a lasting impression <laughs> to put out there to end your film so i i i, I will say this so i I was kind of like, like John Carpenter, I thought, well, I, like I mentioned this a couple times before when we did um, Big Trouble in Little China and stuff like, I, you know, I thought he was an okay director. I have more respect for him as a director after having seen this movie than I did before. And if you would have told me that coming into this movie with me just thinking this, it's this cheesy, campy sci-fi yeah. thing, I probably would have thought you were crazy, but I really do. Like it was good. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So, what would you give it on a scale one to ten? Well, like I say, as a okay, hang on. Let me let me yeah. let me qualify this. Let me give you two options here. Okay. Scale of one to ten, sort of as um, as just a campy movie, uh, like the entertainment value, and then a scale of one to ten, sort of as uh, as importance, like how does it hold up? Mm -hmm. How is the message? Like that kind of thing. Ooh, that's a good uh, that's a good way because I think as a film buff, I think this movie is something else like it i think it lacks in regard to the look of the movie you know like in terms of the entertainment value it kind of comes off as, as a bit sophomoric but mm -hmm. when you really look at it for what it is it's like it's totally like a george a romero work so i think from an entertainment point of view i'd probably say about a three or four but in terms of a film and an importance of film like an eight yeah, I'm I'm right with you on that. I would say as an importance as like a film and the message and how does it hold up? Definitely an eight. And I would say from an entertainment point of view, yeah, like a five and a half, maybe even a six on a really good day if you're in the right mood. But yeah, like it, it's it's not going to appeal to everyone. But for film buffs and people that are are 
looking for a movie that maybe has a little more meaning and especially for science fiction fans because they know just because I see an alien on the screen doesn't mean this is a movie about aliens. Often it means the aliens represent some sort of issue or cause or problem and you have to read beneath the lines or between the lines. And I think for those kind of viewers, they're going to they're going to probably feel like we feel like eight out of ten. I think that's that's bang on from that I point of view. I could not agree with you more. And just like George A. Romero, when he did his his movies weren't about zombies. They were about politics and culture right. and propaganda and capitalism. Like, why do you think Dawn of the Dead takes place in a shopping mall? It's all about yeah. capital, like capitalism and commercialism. It's, it's, it's done by design. So I agree with yep. you 100%. No, that's awesome. So, okay, time to have some fun with Caveman. All right, Derek. So this week we're going to play a game that's a little bit familiar to you and to our audience. And I like to call it flick yeah pick the flick you get the synopsis then pick the flick you get the year pick the flick you know i don't think in that song that i say pick the flick enough just just once i want to hear this song and then you've actually changed it and instead of going pick the flick suddenly it's pick the nose (laughs) <laughs> just just to throw me off, just to see if I'm paying attention. So, all right, so here's how it works. The common thread in this week's Pick the Flick, and I'm going to give you, obviously, the year and the synopsis of the movie, and you have to name the title of the movie. Pretty straightforward. But the common thread is all of the movies this week feature professional wrestlers in acting oh, roles. Wait. So I'm going to give you like the year and the synopsis. You just name the movie, and I'll, uh, and then a bonus points if you can also name the the professional wrestler who appears Jeez. in the film. Okay. Wow. And I know this how is going to be hard for you. How many questions you got? You know, I got ten, and I know you don't really like professional wrestling all that much, but uh, these are easy. I mean, come on, these are easy. Okay. I, I, I'll be shocked if I can score half the point. So if you got ten questions and there's possibly two points for each question, if we set the over and under at nine and a half, I'm guessing I'm gonna score the under. But let's see, let's see what we can do. Oh, Go these ahead. are so easy. Nineteen eighty seven. While homesick in bed, a young boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies, and allies in his quest to be reunited reunited with his true love. What's the movie? Uh, that's The Princess Bride. Very good. Of course it is. And what was the professional wrestler that starred in that movie? Uh, that was Andre the Giant. See, you're going to do so well with this one, okay? 1982, a boxer faces the ultimate challenge from a powerful new contender and must turn to a former rival to help regain his throne as the undisputed fighting champion. Name the movie. Uh, was it Rocky three? Sure was. And who's the professional wrestler that was in Rocky three? Uh, that would be Hulk Hogan playing Thunderlips. Yes. Thunderlips. See, you're, 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 you're going to be on the over on this one for sure. Those are the only two that I knew. So I like, Ah, these are all easy. 1987, a team of commandos on a mission in Central American jungle find themselves hunted by an extraterrestrial warrior. What's the movie? Predator. Of course it is. And who was the professional wrestler that was in that movie? That was former governor Jesse the Body Ventura. 
I ain't got time to bleed. Okay, there you go. 2002, a desert warrior rises up against the evil army that is destroying his homeland. He captures the enemy's key sorcerer, takes her deep into the desert, and prepares for a final showdown. What's the movie from 2002? Was that the uh, spinoff of The Mummy called The Scorpion King? Of course it was. And who was the professional wrestler in that film? That was Dwayne The Rock Johnson. See, you're kicking butt. It was, that was the worst CGI of all time. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Now, and that was the extent of my wrestlers. I don't know any other wrestlers, so I think I'm going to bomb every question from here on in. But let's see where we go next. Also, I should mention a bit of a tie-in to John Carpenter, you know, in this. Because The Rock, by the way, he's The Rock. He is The Rock. Sure. Way cooler than Dwayne. But anyway, it's been announced that they're remaking John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, and it's going to be The Rock that stars in it. And that wow. is that is dumb, by the way. I just want to mention Ooh. that. Yeah, All right. Rough. Also, 2002, when bitten by a genetically modified spider, a nerdy, shy, and awkward high school student gains spider-like abilities that he eventually must use to fight evil as a superhero after tragedy befalls his family. What is the movie, Derek? Right. Yeah, the movie is Spider-Man. And can you name the professional wrestler that appeared? Yeah, yeah, it was, um, he was playing Bonesaw. What was his name? His name was uh, Randy the Macho Man Savage. Yes, Bonesaw McGraw. See, he's killing it on these. I'm making it easy for you. But that's, okay. that's more of a cameo than a starring role. Well, I guess Thunderlips technically is a cameo yeah, as well. It, it just okay. featured professional wrestlers. Sure. No, no, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. All right. 2014, a group of intergalactic criminals must pull together to stop a fanatical warrior with plans to purge the universe. What's the movie? Oh, I want to say Guardians of the Galaxy. And which professional wrestler appeared in that film? Well, I don't know for sure, but the only character that I can think of that might even qualify is Dave Bautista. Yes. Drax was, was, he, played, was played by Dave Bautista, or as he was known when he wrestled, Bautista. I didn't realize he was a wrestler, so okay, yeah. there we go. All right, two, 2015. Having thought that monogamy was never possible, a commitment-phobic career woman may have to face her fears when she meets a good guy. Wow. No, that doesn't sound familiar at all. No idea. It was Trainwreck. Trainwreck. Okay. I, I've seen it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a wrestler, but who was the wrestler, Chris? John Cena played Amy Schumer's boyfriend in that. He was amazing. Oh, that's right. He yes, so, he totally so did. Funny in that. Oh, God, he was funny. Yes. All right, 1999. All right. The Universal Soldiers must fight a whole new army when the military supercomputer S-E-T-H gets out of control. What's the name of the movie? Well, based on your clue, I got to think it's Universal Soldier. Uh, sort of. Can you give me more? Universal Soldier 2? Uh, oh, you know what? I'll give it to you. It was Universal Soldier The Return. Any idea 
who the wrestler was that was in that movie. No, absolutely none. It was Goldberg. Goldberg played Romeo. Okay. I don't even know who that is. Okay. 2007, Jack Conrad is awaiting the death penalty in a corrupt Central American prison. He's purchased by a wealthy TV producer and taken to a desolate island where he must fight to the death against nine other condemned killers from all corners of the world with freedom going to the sole survivor. Can you name the film? from, 19- or from <laughs> That movie sounds... That movie sounds awesome. I have no idea what it is. I can't wait for you to tell me the answer. It's The Condemned, starring Stone Cold never, Steve Austin as Jack. Never Hall. heard of it. I am going to look that up as soon as we're done to see if it's available on any of the streamers. The Condemned? <laughs> yeah, yeah, The Condemned. The Condemned. And the last one from 1989. A tough bouncer is hired to tame a dirty bar. What's the movie? Roadhouse. And can you name the wrestler that is in that movie? Of course I can. Patrick Swayze. No, it was Terry Funk. Terry Funk sure played was. Morgan. I it was that was just funny. I mentioned that one because it was just on like cable TV about a it's week on all ago. The time. And I'd never seen Roadhouse. I have no desire to ever watch it's it. It's great. Have you never seen it? No, it's fantastic. Never watched it. It looks oh, terrible. So I'm not fun. a huge Swayze fan. I just thought that it looked Just don't stupid. watch it on AMC where they cut out the swears and stuff. Just Watch no, it on we, we put it on, my wife and I put it on, and I watched the first little bit of it, and I'm like, oh, God, this is terrible. And but Well, it's got Jeff Healy. But Jeff Healy was in it, which I thought was kind of interesting. He's Canadian. And then I'm like, hey, that's Terry Funk. And my wife was like, who's that? So one of my favorite wrestlers when I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I used to like Hoss Funk. So there was Terry Funk, there was Hoss Funk, and there was Jimmy Jack Funk. They were the Funk brothers, but Hoss Funk was one of my favorites, but... Terry Funk was in this one, so sure. anyway, you did like so. You said you were going to do terrible because you don't really like wrestling. Yeah, it's pretty good. You did, did pretty darn uh, good. So I got fourteen out of twenty. Yeah, that's so not you, bad. You went on the over, so I shouldn't have bet on you. So next time yeah, we're okay. going to come back with a top uh, t- top five list. Next time we come yeah, up, yeah, we're doing really for sure a top five do. list. Yeah, we'll figure something. We'll out. come up with something fun. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be good. But until then, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Caveman Derek Myers and our producer Sloth saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.